0: So the reading is beginning at Mark 11, verse 27, and continuing on until Mark 12, verse 12. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall round it, dug a pit for the winepress and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If the Lord has done this, it is marvellous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away.
1: Do take your seats and uh, grab your Bibles again from the passage that Vicky read for us. Uh, I'm going to pray as we focus our minds and our hearts on what we've just been hearing. Heavenly Father, we want to uh, re-emphasize what we just sung, that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow before him. And so we pray that right now this morning we would be doing just that, that we would be acknowledging who he is. And being ready to live under his authority, in Jesus name. Amen. At the uh, Windsor Horse Show in 1991, there was lots of security guards, you know the sort of people at the event who sort of checking tickets, guarding certain areas, not letting people through, letting the right people through. Everything was going fine until uh, a lady tried to get in without a pass. And so the guard looks at her and says, he said later she looked like some old deer who was lost. So he says from a distance, Sorry, love, you can't come in without a sticker. And she keeps going anyway. No, sorry, love, you can't get in without a sticker. And this uh, old deer replied, I think if you check, I will be allowed in. <laughs> but as far as he was concerned, no sticker, no entry. And as he's coming closer, saying, Sorry, love, he finally gets up closer than you can imagine. It was the Queen sorry, love, you can't come in without a sticker. I mean, she was very good about it, apparently, very gracious about it, sort of, does having my face on all the stamps count as a sticker? I don't know. Uh, well, something a bit like that happens in our Bible passage today as, as Jesus is stopped and challenged about what he can and can't do, what he is and isn't authorised to do. Except it isn't an honest mistake. It isn't like that security guard who had no idea who he was dealing with. The people who challenge Jesus, they don't go, oh my goodness, Jesus, I'm so sorry, I didn't realise it was you. You're the Lord, you can do whatever you want, obviously, as you were. No, they stare him down and continue to say, you don't have the authority to do this. like recognising the Queen and saying, I don't care who you are, love. If you haven't got a sticker, you're not coming in. Jesus makes massive claims. He makes massive claims, not just over them, but over us. Claims that he has authority over us and our lives, each of us. And so we've got to deal with that. Are we going to accept that authority and live with him as our authority? Or are we going to say to him, sorry, mate, I don't care who you are. You're not coming in here. Our passage starts off as Jesus' authority is challenged Jesus' authority is challenged. Let's pick up from verse 27, Mark chapter 11, verse 27. It says, they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? See, they're challenging him. They're challenging his authority. And and you can understand why to a certain degree. The day before this happened, Jesus had cleared out the temple. He'd flipped over all the furniture. He'd kicked everybody out. And worse than that was what he was saying. He was saying, this place is being run very, very badly. It's been turned into a den of robbers. So you would sort of expect that the temple leaders might want to have a word with him the next time he comes in. He's being very disruptive. And so they challenge His authority. By what authority are you doing these things? Because we certainly didn't say you could do these things. And if we haven't okayed it, then it's not okay. These were the the head honchos. They were part of the Sanhedrin. That's the highest legal body, the highest kind of council that there was. So you've got a 71-member council made up of representatives from three important groups. Chief priests, teachers of the law... And elders, these are important people. Chief priests, that's former high priests who now have a permanent job in the temple. Teachers of the law, these are the legal experts, these are the Bible scholars. Elders, those were respected members of the community, normally not ordained priests, not trained teachers, but important people in the community. And to have people from each of those groups come and quiz Jesus on this, They are really taking this very seriously. This is a a formal delegation coming to say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Waltzing into our temple and acting like you own the place. Can I see your license and registration, please? Jesus' authority is being challenged, isn't it? Now, he does seem like a troublemaker and so kind of fair enough to check on him. But again, they're not being neutral in this. They aren't going... A bit of a thing happened yesterday. Can we? Could you step into the office and have a chat about it? It's nothing like that. They are threatened by him. They are threatened by him. He is criticising them, and instead of engaging with that, say, "Okay, well, let's let's talk about it." Instead, they pull rank. They try to shut him down. They don't want to hear what he's come to say. Now, this was always going to happen. If you um, wanted to, you can flick back just a couple of pages to Mark chapter eight verse 31, when Jesus said exactly what was going to happen. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed, and after three days rise again. So we know, Jesus knows, they all knew These are the baddies. We're going to go there and the respectable leaders of everything are going to kill me. That's what Jesus says. And so they're just doing exactly what he knew was going to happen. Chapter 11 again, up in verse 18. We saw this last week. Jesus curses the temple and their response in verse 18. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. So this isn't a genuine question. They're not saying, you know, I'm really sorry to be a pain. We're really genuinely interested in why you're doing this. I mean, have you, has God sent you to, to challenge us? They don't care about that. They just want rid of him. And over the next couple of passages we're going to look at, they challenge him again and again and again to discredit him. We're going to see they're going to try and get him on tax evasion next week. They're going to try and get him on this, try and get him on that. And this is their trap this week. By what authority? By what authority? And it's a trap because if he says, I come with God's authority, they'll accuse him of blasphemy. How dare you come saying God said this, that and the other. And if he says, oh no, I'm just here off my own back, well then they'll accuse him of stirring up trouble. Whatever he says, they've got him. Except they haven't. They haven't got him because Jesus is too wise. He's always kind of three moves ahead on the chessboard. He's outmaneuvering his opponent. So he flips it around in verse 29. See this. Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. He issues an ultimatum, doesn't he? He goes, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. How did John do what he did? Was he somebody sent by God, or was he just a pretender? Riddle me that. And it's a really clever move on Jesus' part, because it forces them to show their hand. It forces them to come out and say what they actually think. And so now they're, they're stuck on the horns of a dilemma here. So you see in verse 31, they scurry away to confer among themselves, kind of, oh dear, can I phone a friend? Uh, ah, right, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? If we say he's ca- that John the Baptist came from heaven, he's going to say, well, then why didn't you believe him? Good question. Why didn't you believe him? But then if we say, of human origin, and it's interesting, isn't it? They don't even need to finish that sentence because they know how bad that would be. The crowd would turn on them. The crowd would be up in arms. And we're told they feared the people for everyone held John really was a prophet. So if they say, John was just a self-appointed fraud. Their popularity is going to go down the toilet, isn't it? Their rejection of John the Baptist, because they had rejected him, that had driven a wedge between the leaders and the people. And Jesus drives the wedge a little bit deeper. And public opinion is what they really care about. That's what they really care about. Do you notice that? They don't care what's true. They don't go, let's confer among ourselves. What do we think? They don't care what's true. They only care about what's convenient. They're only interested in what other people will think, not whether John the Baptist did come from God or not. And I think that's very common today, isn't it? That people often don't want to engage with what the Bible really says, what the the Bible claims, because we're just concerned with what other people will think. Whether we become a Christian or not, is that really due to whether we think it's true or what will my friends and family think? Or whether it's something where the Bible says something clearly and people will say, you can't say that. Why not? It's true. That's not the point. You can't say that. If you want to stay popular. And Jesus and John the Baptist were calling people to repent, calling people to admit they'd been wrong and to change their minds, to change their lives. And these leaders don't want to do that. They don't want to say what they really think. They don't want to change their minds. And so they're stumped. They're completely stumped, and so they give the most pathetic response in verse 33. They answered Jesus, we don't know. They're being non-committal, aren't they? They're they're delaying giving a real answer because they don't want to show their hand. And again, that's easy for us to do as well, isn't it? To just not come out publicly either way about Jesus as if we're being neutral, but it's not neutral, isn't it? If we say, I don't know about Jesus' authority, that is rejecting his authority. It's like if you think of a teacher uh, um, telling an unruly pupil to sit down, they're up in the middle of the lesson, standing on a desk, and you tell them to sit down, and the student says, I don't know, I'm undecided about your authority. You're not going to go, Oh, well, fair enough, if you're undecided, take your time. You say, No, that's not undecided, that's disobedience. And when Jesus' authority is challenged, that's a sign of rejection. Are we challenging his authority? Are we rejecting him as though he isn't authorized to come in here to enter the throne room of our lives and sit wherever he likes? By whose authority? Says who? I'm not doing anything until I see some ID. But Jesus sees through it. He sees through their pretense of ignorance and he calls their bluff he says fine fine if you're not willing to stick your neck out and say what you actually think neither will i verse 33 neither will i tell you by what authority i'm doing these things two can play that game but it's obvious isn't it it's obvious from this encounter who has the authority who has the authority the people with the job title or actually jesus his authority is challenged it still is it's challenged all the time because Jesus' authority is challenging. It is challenging, isn't it? Can you imagine being them and having this person suddenly show up and do those things? That is challenging. And he, is, he doesn't back down at that point. They collar him, and he flips it around and puts them on trial, doesn't he? He sets the terms of the discussion. I will answer your questions if you... Bu, 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 bu. He refuses to answer. He's got the authority. See, see the end of verse 30 when he, he sets it up and then goes tell me, to demand that of these people, tell me what you think. Uh, Fans of um, 90s action movies, you might remember Judge Dredd, do you remember Judge Dredd, Sylvester Stallone? He says to the court, I never broke the law, I am the law. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here, he's challenging with his, his authority, I haven't done anything wrong, I am the law. I have every authority to do these things, except he's a bit more subtle than Judge Dredd. If you can imagine somebody acting a little more subtle than Sylvester Stallone, uh, that's what uh, Jesus is doing. There's a discussion going on, and he shuts it down and says, okay, let's try a different tact. Let's do a story. Let's do a little thought experiment. Let's see what you reckon to this. So he tells this parable that kind of lures them in a little bit. It's supposed to make you go, wow, that's outrageous, and then goes, that's you got a little sting in it. So as we... (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Sorry, there's a phone thing happening. So we're going to go through this story uh, and we'll see how challenging Jesus is being, how challenging he's being to them, how challenging he's being to us. So are you sitting comfortably? Tough. I'm sure you are, and I love your new seats. But anyway, uh, we will begin the story. Once upon a time, there was a good vineyard owner. There's a good vineyard owner. Chapter 12, verse 1. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. So this is a good Vineyard owner. He is setting up a top of the range establishment. He spares no expense. He plants it all up and then builds a whopping great wall all around it to keep out animals, keep out thieves. He's built a wine press so they can make the wine on site themselves. He builds a watchtower so you can stick a guard up there and you've got 24 hour surveillance. This is sort of first century CCTV. Nothing is going to stop this from being a brilliant. Vineyard. It probably would have had a visitors centre. You can go and do wine tastings and things like that. But he didn't plan on running it himself. He was going to lease it out. Now, apparently, this was very common at the time. He could have done the work himself or had his own uh, servants, his own staff, do it, and then he gets to keep all of the uh, the proceeds. But instead, he says, "No, I'm going to rent this out to some tenants. They look after the vineyard. They run the business. They keep most of the profits, but they pay me rent." with a a share of whatever they produced. It was an investment for him. It was a a job for them. So everybody's a winner, you'd think. It's a good vineyard and a good vineyard owner. And everything's going swimmingly until the rent is due. verse 2, At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. So we see that the twist in the story. Suddenly we've got rebellious tenants. Rebellious tenants. The servants rock up and say, oh, Hi, we're, we're here to collect some grapes. I hope it's okay. We park the van out the front. There's a bit of paperwork. I need you. And they just jump on him. Start pounding his head in. They won't hand over to the delivery man what they're supposed to give him. They've got no intention of fulfilling their contract. They have no intention of giving the owner what belongs to him. They want all the grapes, all the wine, all the money for themselves. It's every landlord's worst nightmare, isn't it? To have these rebellious tenants. I've seen a lot of this online recently, people attacking the very idea of renting a house. It's all exploiting us, eat the rich, refuse to pay. And that's kind of what these tenants are are saying, isn't it? It might be his vineyard, but no. We're not giving him anything. So they beat the servant up and send him packing. The owner finds out, obviously, and we see then his patience. We see that he really is a good vineyard owner. Perhaps there's been a misunderstanding. So in verse 4, we read on, then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. Now probably at this point, You'd say, right, let's get get serious about this, whether that's send a a formal letter of demand or whatever it is. Verse 5, he still sent another, and that one they killed. Assaulting, murdering people. People have been evicted for a lot less than that, haven't they? But this owner is almost unbelievably patient. He doesn't give up. We're told he sent many others. Some they beat Others they killed. It just gets worse and worse, more and more hostile and violent. But the owner persists in giving them more chances. Now, we don't know how long it went on for. Eventually, we get to verse 6. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. So, fully aware of the risk, the son makes the journey with his father's authority to sort the mess out. But using that watchtower the owner had built, that they see him coming. And so you think, what are they going to do? Are they going to see the sun coming and go, right, this is getting serious. We need to sit round the table together and work this out. No, they hatch a plan, don't they? Verse 7. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. It's not a crime of passion, is it? They knew who he was. It's premeditated murder. It's evil, and it's absolutely bonkers as well. You think, what what kind of plan is that? Let's kill him and take the inheritance. Why would the owner give them the inheritance after this? Maybe they'd mistaken his, his patience for weakness, and think, well, we'll really show him we're serious. He'll have to go with our demands now. Maybe they thought the owner was dead, so get the sun out of the way, we can claim squatters' rights. I don't know, it's a made up story. But we get the idea, don't we? These are rebellious tenants. So why are we being told the story? The message is not pay your rent. The message is not don't kill people if they ask you for grapes. That's not what that's not, it's not just a nice story. It's not even a nice story, it's horrible. Now, the people hearing it would have understood what was going on. He was retelling a famous story they would have known very well from Isaiah. Isaiah wrote a very similar story in chapter 5. Let me read this bit from Isaiah 5 and just see how similar it is. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And then if we skip a few verses ahead, he explains the story. Isaiah says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. There's a number of times in the Old Testament God's people are referred to as his vineyard. He planted it. They belong to him. And he wants to see fruit. He wants to see the fruit of godly lives among his people. But he finds only sin. And so in Isaiah's version of the story, the owner lets the vineyard go to ruin. Knocks the walls down. In Jesus' version... The problem isn't so much the grapes as the workers. So you see, he's taking this famous story and aiming it right at those leaders and saying, God put you in charge of his vineyard and you are rebellious tenants. You are not giving him what he deserves. And they might go, but we've been working really hard in the vineyard. It's looking really nice. We've got a really good harvest this year. Very impressive, but when push came to shove, you won't respect the owner's authority. They're rejecting the servants over and over, just like God sent Israel, prophet after prophet after prophet, to teach them, to warn them, to call them back. And time after time, they ignored them. They killed them all the way up to John the Baptist. And so the Lord gives them one final chance. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him, last of all, saying, they will respect my son. So we see, this is, this is last chance saloon stuff. This is climax of history kind of stuff. God sends his son as the final warning. But do they respect him? No, they rough him up and they say, by what authority are you coming here to get these grapes? Who gave you the authority to do this, that, and the other When he's got every authority to do it. He is the son. He is the son of God himself. This is his vineyard. They act like the owners. They are only tenants. And like the tenants in the story, they say, come, let's kill him. And they will have done it. Within a week of this happening, they will have done it with Jesus. And then they all lived happily ever after. Is that what happened? That's what they think is going to happen. We get rid of him and then everything will be fine. But no. What will God do about our rejection of Jesus' authority. That's Jesus' question in verse 9, doesn't it? When he says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? What what would you do? What would I do? What should we do? Well, what needs to happen is a just outcome. A just outcome. Verse 9, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Justice is going to be served. Now, bear in mind, um, if we had tenants who didn't pay their rent and we went and killed them, that's not justice, is it? (laughs) Um, In these days, this is before the police, before the Crown Prosecution Service, it would have been his right to administer justice himself for all the lives that they have taken. So these rebellious tenants are getting away with murder, and he says, no, they won't forever. This ought to be a really challenging story to us. If we hear it and we're sort of brought in, we go, isn't that awful? These tenants are awful. They really get what they deserved." But it's supposed to be like a mirror back at us and saying, are we ever like that though? Are we ever like those tenants? Do we ever ignore God's messengers? Do we reject his son? This whole story is confronting with the authority of Jesus. Last week, if you were here, we saw Jesus get angry at the lack of fruit in the lives of people in the temple. We saw him cursing a tree for being fruitless. And when challenged about it here, he tells a story of somebody and says, he's perfectly entitled to come and get that fruit, and I've come to get it. It's incredibly challenging, isn't it? But we've got to reckon with that. Being religious is not enough. These leaders were very religious and they were still rebellious. They can't point all the juicy grapes they've grown. Look at all our, we've got crates and crates of fine vintage wine. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't count for anything. Because when it comes to the crunch, they won't do business with the son. They think they can reject Jesus and still be okay with the father, but they're not right. Final judgment all comes down to what we make of Jesus will we accept his authority or not? And not just in a, yeah, I suppose so, but in our day-to-day lives, will we let Jesus be in charge, go what he wants, go where he wants, tell us to do what he wants? Because if not, we are those tenants in the story and we'll receive the just outcome. And yet the parable Actually, has a very happy ending. That the vineyard isn't destroyed; it's not deserted. The tenants are removed, and new tenants are brought in. You see, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, that is a really happy ending. That God is going to have a new people who will bear fruit and will hand it over. So the tenants they rebel, but that's not the end of things. Their rejection of Jesus is not the end. And that's why he quotes a bit from Psalm 118 there. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The one that they've thrown aside is not just going to stay aside. It will take its rightful place. Jesus turns out to be the most important. He turns out to be the son who was killed and God raised up to reign anyway. So lots of people challenge his authority, but for those of us who accept his authority, we say, along with verse 11, the Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. You can reject him all you like. We think it's marvellous. We think it's fantastic that that we get to be his new people, that we get to be given the vineyard. We were outside, it was nothing to do with us, and yet we're given it by him. Do we understand what this story is saying and the challenge of it? Jesus' first hearers understood it, and they did not think it was marvelous. Take a look at verse 12. It says, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he'd spoken the parable against them. They understood it. As Mark Twain said, it ain't the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts I do understand. The leaders understand and they recognize he's talking about us. How dare you say that we are like that? We are nothing like that. If you're not careful, we're going to come and take you and kill you and throw you out of the vineyard. We're nothing like those people. They get together to get rid of the sun. And it's only because of the crowd that they're afraid of that they don't do it there and then. So it's obvious. They read the story. They hear it and go, I know who I'm supposed to be in this story. But what about us? When we hear that story, do we recognize ourselves in that? Who are we in it? And that comes down to, will we accept Jesus' authority or not? We can take Jesus' question and and apply it to us. Do we think Jesus came with God's authority or was it of human origin? And we can't say, oh, I don't know. We've got to answer the question. We mustn't rest till we know the answer. The owner was so patient, he sent his son to give one last chance. Don't squander that chance. And for those of us who have Bow to the authority of Jesus. Isn't he marvellous? Isn't he fantastic? Isn't it wonderful that we get given the vineyard? It ought to make us want to live lives in his service, want to be delighted to give him what's his, to hand over the fruit of obedience that he's got every right to ask for. Let's pray that we would do Just that. Heavenly Father, we have been just reading very challenging words from Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to understand it. We pray that you would help us to not, however, react like those leaders did, understanding it and going off in a half. Instead, please would you help us to understand it, see ourselves in it and change. Help us to stop challenging Jesus' authority and to accept it. We pray that if we've never done that before, that that would happen now. We pray that if we have nominally said, yes, Jesus is the authority, that increasingly we would live as though that's true and gladly give him what he deserves. And we ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.